Roman holiday. Audrey Hepburn, Gregory Peck, romance, charm, laughter, beauty. If you don't like the movie, go stand on the corner. The yardstick for many a romantic comedy, it takes a fairy tale as its premise and turns it on its head, delivering an ending. If you're not moved by it, you can join that other bold person in the corner. But all that aside, if you're interested in cinema history, let me make three points to put the film firmly in context. My first point is that by the end of the Second World War in 1945, Italy and its film industry had all been but decimated. Yet somehow, from the rubble, there emerged a set of filmmakers who managed not only to make a few films, but make a set of films that completely changed cinema. These films are called neorealist, for they aimed to capture the reality of post-war Italy. The idea was to make new films in a new way. No stars, no sets, no genres, no contrived plots, just real people on real streets telling real-life stories. To this day, movies such as Rome Open City, Bicycle Thieves and La Terra Trema are still considered to be amongst the most important ever made. My second point is that things changed soon after the war. The United States implemented the Marshall Plan, a hugely ambitious scheme to rebuild Europe's economy and infrastructure. By the early 50s, Italy was fully benefiting from the programme and the neorealist idea was running out of steam. Audiences wanted glamour, fantasy and escapism. Which brings me to my third point. By the end of the 50s, Italian maestro Federico Fellini put a value on the cost of Italy's economic revival. With his landmark 1960 film La Dolce Vita, he served up glamour, fantasy and escapism, and with it exposed the vapid, venal and decrepit nature of the celebrity culture that had erupted with the boom. Not only that, it was Fellini's La Dolce Vita that gave the world a new word, paparazzi. So, let's put those three points together. Neorealism emerges in the mid-1940s. It begins to wane in the early 50s, and La Dolce Vita arrives in 1960. Coming almost exactly halfway between, in 1953, is Roman Holiday. These are pyjamas. They're to sleep in. You are to climb into them. You understand? Thank you. Then you do your sleeping on the couch, see? Not on the bed. Not on the chair. On the couch. Is that clear? You know my favorite poem. Uh, you already recited that for me. Arethusa rose from a couch of snows in the Acroceronian mountains. Keats. Shelley. Keats. You just keep your mind off the poetry and on the pajamas, and everything will be all right. See. Keats. I'll be. It's Shelley. I'll be back in about ten minutes. The idea was conjured up by gifted American screenwriter Dalton Trumbo whose extensive credits included an Oscar nomination in 1941. But by the late 40s, Trumbo had fallen foul of Hollywood's communist witch hunts. Refusing to testify before the House Un-American Activities Committee, Trumbo was thrown in jail. It was while he was in jail that he thought of the idea for Roman holiday. The story is this. While on royal engagement in Italy, a princess decides to see Rome for herself. 
but in so doing, she falls in with a journalist who sets about using her as a scoop for his big news story. Would you be so kind as to tell me where I am? Well, this is what is laughingly known as my apartment. Did you bring me here by force? No, no, no. Quite the contrary. Have I been here all night alone? If you don't count me, yes. So I've spent the night here with you. Oh, well, now, I uh, don't know that I'd use those words exactly. Upon his release from jail, Trumbo found himself blacklisted. So he asked his friend and fellow writer Ian McClellan Hunter to put his name on the script and sell it for him. Hunter sold it to none other than three-time Oscar-winning director Frank Capra. Capra saw it as a perfect vehicle for Cary Grant and Elizabeth Taylor. While Cary Grant might have been fine, I think Taylor would have been a disaster. It's as simple as this. A movie star since the age of 12 Taylor was a coarse and spoiled Hollywood princess. So she would have been trying to play against her image, which was all glitz and glam. And, quite simply, the audience would not have bought into Taylor switching tiaras and mink stoles for leather sandals and a plain skirt to get her haircut on Via della Stamperia. Ecco qua, finito. It's perfect. You've been nice without long hair. Now it's cool. Hmm? Cool. It's, It's... Just what I wanted. <laughs> Grazie. Now, why you not come dancing tonight with me? You should see. It's so nice. It's uh, on a boat on the Tivoli, Tiber, the river by Sant'Angelo. Light music, romantic. It's very, very, very. Please, you come. So, we must thank the movie gods that for whatever reason, Frank Capra decided to leave the project and neither Cary Grant nor Liz Taylor were cast. Instead, the script was shown to William Wyler, a very versatile director who had already won two Oscars. Wyler loved the script and agreed to make the movie on one condition. It had to be shot on location in Rome. But Paramount Pictures said no. Such a thing was unheard of at the time, for the executives believed that the backlots and sound stages of the studio would suffice. But Wyler was having none of it. He had seen the neorealist films and knew that cinema was changing. You can't build me the Colosseum or the Spanish Steps, he said. I'll shoot the whole picture in Rome or I won't do it at all. That single decision ensured the film's charm. The fact that the set was now authentic allowed the production a freedom and spontaneity of movement about the city that would never have happened had it been made in Hollywood. Why don't you take a little time for yourself? Maybe another hour. Live dangerously. Take the whole day. I could do some of the things I've always wanted to. Like what? Oh, you can't imagine. I'd I'd like to do just whatever I like the whole day long. Things like having your hair cut, eating gelato. Yes, and I'd I'd like to sit at a sidewalk cafe and look in shop windows, walk in the rain, have fun and maybe some excitement. Roman Holiday has a magical premise. A princess who wants to experience life as a normal citizen. Sort of Cinderella in reverse. But how do you cast a movie star as a princess who doesn't want to be a princess? You don't cast a movie star, you cast an unknown. Ladies and gentlemen, Audrey Hepburn. 
sweetness and decency. One o'clock sharp, lunch with the foreign ministry. You will wear your white lace and carry a bouquet of a very small pink, pink roses. roses. 3.05, presentation of a plaque. Thank you. 4.10, review special guard of carabinieri police. No, thank you. 4.45, back do? here to change sharp your uniform so to meet the international... No! Born of aristocratic descent in 1929, Audrey Hepburn's life during World War II was one of adverse poverty. Living in Holland, she suffered from malnutrition, acute anemia and edema. Although both her parents were Nazi sympathisers, they were the family exception. Her uncle was executed for serving in the resistance, while her half-brother was arrested and deported to Berlin to work in a labour camp. As a 14-year-old girl, Hepburn witnessed the engines of the Holocaust, on more than one occasion seeing hundreds of Jews being put on trains and sent to the death camps. Such events would affect any person, and I have no doubt that they affected Hepburn. Certainly, she portrays Princess Anne in Roman Holiday as someone who recognises that there is far more to life than ermines and pearls. I'm sorry I couldn't cook us some dinner. Did you learn how in school? Mm, I'm a good cook. I could earn my living at it. I can sew too and clean a house and iron. I learned to do all those things. I just haven't had the chance to do it for anyone. Every so often it is rumoured that an old classic is about to be remade. Roman Holiday is one of them. But I sincerely doubt that in this age of the internet and Instagram, that the central premise could work for more time than it takes for you to update your Facebook page. That doesn't mean filmmakers can't try. Notting Hill is a gentle reconfiguration of it. And while we're at it, we have to admit that Roman Holiday is itself a reworking of another, older Hollywood film, It Happened One Night, which happened to be about a journalist who is sitting on a huge scoop about an heiress who wants to escape an arranged marriage. It also just happens that It Happened One Night was directed by Frank Capra. So maybe that's the reason why he decided not to make Roman Holiday. Which of the cities visited did your highness enjoy the most? Each in its own way was unforgettable. It would be difficult to... Rome. By all means, Rome. I will cherish my visit here in memory as long as I live. Just as I've never met anyone who doesn't like Rome, I've never met anyone who hasn't been charmed by Roman Holiday. Not enraptured by its graceful conceit, not captivated by Hepburn's unique appeal, and not taken in by Gregory Peck's journalist who passes up a scoop that would certainly boost his career. Yes, it is the stuff of make-believe, but it is not a fairy tale. The ending is not what we wish for, which is why it works so beautifully. It is so skillfully handled we accept the sadness. Why? It recognises the important things in life. Honesty, integrity, decency and kindness. It's about the things that endure, which is why shooting on location was crucial. Rome is the eternal city and beautiful things last forever. <laughs>